as part of the service, I wasn't expecting him to, to best my sermon or to give such a wonderful example. Well, please, nobody get up and leave. I did prepare a sermon. I sure would like to give it. But thank you, Brother Jim. very powerful testimony. Thank you for encouraging me that way. Picture this, if you will, this morning. One by one, shadows slip up the concrete stairwell. Suddenly, a door slides open and a throbbing hum rolls out. The room is packed with 80 middle-aged men and women squatting on tiny stools, head bowed and eyes squeezed shut, whispering prayers. In another secret house church, Raven Persecution, believers carry flashlights in one hand and tattered Bibles in another. A small group of men and women hurried into the bedroom in this private house to gather together for worship. Still yet, at a crackdown of a large house church in Beijing, government officials showed up and called the service illegal and took down the worshippers' names, employers, and cell phone numbers. Afterwards, the members received phone calls by both religious officials and state-controlled work units ordering them to stop attending these services. Most refused. These three examples of life in the home church movement in communist China have been played out millions of times over since communism took over in 1949 driving Christianity underground in that country. During the Cultural Revolution in China, the decade from 1966 to 1976, Chinese officials effectively banned the expression of religious belief. And since the communists take over, it's become commonplace for people to just go missing who named the name of Christ. One church leader has been detained himself over 41 times. Despite intense persecution directed at the house church movement, many of these house church members report that they are drawn to the intimacy. Nonetheless, in light of the persecution, they are still drawn to the intimacy and sense of community fostered by these unofficial churches. These Chinese Christians are not alone in this experience. Christians in most of Africa and Asia today, where Christianity is growing the most, face many of the very same things in their Christian walk. And they meet together in the same secretive ways to glorify the name of their God. And that's not all. All the way back to the founding of Christianity, from 120 scared and dejected followers cowering in an upper room, to the spread of Christianity throughout the entire Roman Empire... Christians would meet secretly, oftentimes, for fear of their lives because of the persecution that they faced. The history of Christianity shows, from the very beginning and even to today, how our faith has spread and will spread and is spreading through small group gatherings which can foster a deep intimacy. I want to invite everybody this morning to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is going to be our text for today. Many of you already recognize that as a sister passage to last week's, which was Hebrews chapter 3. Again, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. As you're turning there, just let me say at the very outset that today's sermon, as you 
have already gathered is a continuation of the growth group emphasis from last week. And you can see that also from the structure of the sermon outline that you have in your bulletin. And also let me just say at the outset so you know where I'm going with this sermon. Points number one and two, though they reference growth groups, I'm largely going to be dealing with aspects of the text and then make some light application to the growth group ministry. It's going to be point number three. You see in your outline, point number three looks radically different from the previous two. It's going to be point number three today where I really just hammer home the vision and mission of this growth group ministry. Idea being... As individual members who we are calling and pleading to be part of this ministry, you need to know what this vision and mission is of this ministry so that you can buy into it and see to it within your local groups out there meeting that you're making sure this takes place. Now, by now, you're at Hebrews chapter 10. Today's text is actually going to be verses 24 and 25, but we're going to read beginning at verse 19 just to get the wider context. Hebrews 10, 19, follow along with me. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains the sacrifice for our sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant which he was sanctified, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray now for a move of your Spirit among us. Father, Primarily, ultimately, we have one pressing need, and that is to hear from you, to have your presence come among us, that we would be changed, Father. For we are but of dust. We are frail and weak. And we have need for strength, if we are Christians, to run with endurance this race that is set before us. And this can only be accomplished, Father, as you are working these things out among us. So let there be a mighty work of God take place in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number one, as you have in your outline, love and good works multiplied through growth groups. The author says in verse 24, And let us consider 
how to stir up love and good works. Now, before we delve into verse 1, let's kind of back up and address that context that I just read so we can see what the author does, how he comes to verses 24 and 25. Everything the author is going to say in these two verses come from that summary statement that we've already read in verses 19, 20, and 21. You see at the beginning of verse 19 that phrase, therefore, brothers. So we know he's making a transition from everything else he's just done in the book to some personal application that's going to come primarily in verses 24 and 25 today. So verses 19 to 21 are a summary statement of everything else the author has said in the book of Hebrews. He summarizes it for us in 19, 20, and 21. Flowing out of that summary statement, he then gives us three phrases, one of which we're going to look at today in 24 and 25, that are the intent of everything that he's just said. In other words, the practical application of everything that that he has just said. Now, from this summary statement in verses 19 to 21, as I've already said, he draws three lines of application, which he states as commands, and they are this, and you can follow along in your verses with me. Verse 22, there are three let us phrases that you have in, in your Bible. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance. That's application number one. Application number two, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Then application number three, which we're looking at today. And let us consider how to stir up love and good deeds. These are the three points of application he draws out of the first ten chapters of this book. Now, if we can take verses 24 and 25 and summarize it or paraphrase it into one statement, it could be said to be this. Christians should be intentional in meeting together to promote love, good deeds, and mutual encouragement. Again, Christians should be intentional in meeting together regularly to promote love, good deeds, and mutual encouragement. Well, how do we do that? Primarily, it's this weekly gathering, as you've known from the past two weeks, we're also promoting the growth group ministry to that end. We meet in growth groups to fulfill scripture among us. And in these small group gatherings, we can, as the text says, consider one another. In other words, to consider one another, we have to, to be spending time with one another. The promotion of love, good deeds, and the encouragement of one another begins among us as we seek to get to know one another. Which can be done in this weekly service. I've said before, this is very important. We neglect this weekly service to our own spiritual harm. But there are other ways in which we can accomplish texts like this, and it's the growth group ministry. So we meet together to get to know one another so we can learn how to stir one another up for the purpose of love and good deeds. Now, this word consider occurs a total of four times in the book of Hebrews. And you can just write these references down and look at them at some other time if you like. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 3. Then Hebrews 13, verse 7, and then in today's text. Four times this word consider occurs throughout the book of Hebrews. It's it's the main emphasis the author is trying to get to these people who are struggling in their faith, they're facing persecution, they're in fear of drawing back, publicly denying the body of Christ, and going back to the Old Testament system. So to help them out, he gives them some very practical advice, and that is to consider. 
primarily in Hebrews chapter 3, it was consider Jesus. Here in today's text, it's consider one another. The word, this word consider implies an intentionality in investing in one another's lives, doesn't it? For us to consider one another, how one of us might need to be stirred up, provoked to love and good works, we need to be getting to know that person, and that means an intentional emphasis of getting to know one another, making it a priority with our time. We get to know one another, what makes one another happy, what makes us sad, where we struggle, what makes us laugh, what we enjoy doing with our time. We get to know one another for all these things. And this is why being intentional about spending time with one another is so critically important in the Christian life. It's one of the things, Lord willing, I've been trying to get across in this two-sermon series on the priority of the need for growth groups. It's an avenue through which this intentionality can be worked out. We need to get to know one another and help one another finish the race, fight the good fight. We need to get to know those areas where I need to grow. You need to get me to, to know me and the areas I need to grow so that I can be encouraged and I need to get to know you for the same reason. What the Bible advocates for the body of Christ is a beautiful, full orb view of one another so that as we get to know one another in various contexts, we are building trust. Building trust among one another as we get to know one another so that as daily we need somebody to speak the words of Christ to us. I already have somebody there who's been investing in, in me as I open my life to them. And there's been a mutual trust being built so that as I need to hear God's words, there's going to be a faithful brother and sister in, in all of you to speak God's words to me, to help me keep going, keep going and vice versa. We need to speak to words of God to one another when we need it the most. The one and other passages in Scripture that we talked about last week are meant to tell us that we're supposed to be other-focused. We're not intended to be consumers. Come in here primarily to have our needs met, whether it be in the weekly service, any other of the ministries of any local church, particularly in the growth group meetings. We come not primarily as consumers, but we come to meet the needs of others, to focus on others. I can remember as a seminary student, The church I attended at the time, my pastor was apparently was preaching through a series through which he was utilizing a lot. The book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together, an amazing little book that I think I referenced last week. And there was this must have been eight, ten years ago now. And there was he made a, such a piercing application. I can't remember what text he was preaching from or anything like that. But I remember this application point he drew from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together. And it's this. We often come together, and I throw myself in this mix as well, that when we come together, I expect somebody to come and meet my needs. We're very consumer-oriented in today's church in that way. I need somebody to come and meet my needs. I need this and that from my pastor, from the way the music is done, the way the service is structured, so on and so forth. I need to have my needs met. And oftentimes... We can have the attitude of, if my needs aren't going to be met, I'll just go to another church. But of course, they're probably not going to be met there either, because people are sinners and we're all weak. And so we end up going church to church. 
The remedy Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about in his book, Life Together, is this. It's the question, what, do I come first and primarily not to have my own needs met, but to meet the needs of others, to be used of God in the life of somebody else on Sunday mornings and in our growth group gatherings? That should be our priority together. And I think that as we see God using us to meet other people's needs, that in that ministry, in that one another ministry, our own needs are going to be met. We're primarily intended to be ministers to one another. And the word to, to minister to one another has necessarily in view the other person being per, per, first. So rather than being consumers, we come together for the purpose of ministering to each other, being intentional together in being other-focused. Whether it's here on a Sunday morning or again in any of the ministries of this church and particularly in growth groups. Why do we gather together? Why do we come here on a Sunday morning? Let's be in prayer as we gather together in, in any of our gatherings and pray, God, who would you use me to speak to today? Who needs to be ministered to? Who is discouraged? Who needs to be encouraged? Who's had a difficult week? All this can be accomplished by simply taking the time to ask someone to have good intentional conversation on a Sunday morning or in growth groups. Asking someone, tell me how your week went. What's going on in your life right now? How can I pray for you? These are ways in which we can be intentional with one another. Returning to the text, we see that the whole thrust of verse 24, if you're looking at verse 24 with me, the whole thrust culminates in the phrase, love and good deeds. In other words, there is a command, we're to consider one another, to stir one another up, but it's for the end of producing love and good deeds in one another. Stated another way, the purpose of getting to know one another has at its end the promulgation of love and good works among us. It's interesting, by the way, that in addressing the remedy of what's ailing this little house church, and that's who these people are, apparently a small house church meeting, facing persecution, but the remedy the author gives is a very practical one, isn't it? It's consider one another, spend time with one another so you can encourage one another, keep one another going, encouraging one another on to love and good deeds. This, as Christians, is primarily what would be about the task of love and good deeds. We're to stir one another up. And in Scripture, that word, it's it's a very striking word. In some of its occurrences in other places in the New Testament, it's got a negative connotation. Here it has a positive one. But to stir one another up, to excite one another. That's what we're to be doing among one another, with one another in our times together. We need to let others get to know us in such an intentional way that they can learn how we need to be encouraged, provoked, excited, stirred up to continue to live out the faith I profess in Christ. It's often the case, isn't it, that when we're feeling down or depressed or whatever, we we can draw inward, we, we quickly come in, take our place in the pew, try to avoid any interactions with another with one another and then do the opposite at the end of the service. But that's exactly what we don't need to do. We all have these same struggles and we're trying to encourage all, everybody, myself included, 
to join together in small group gatherings, to open up, to share these burdens together, the good times and the bad times. Now, this phrase, love and good works, it's been pointed out many times, the priority that all the good works we do should flow primarily out of love. All the good works we do should primarily flow from love. Scripture teaches that this duo is the hallmark of what it means to be Christian. For instance, in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that his excuse me, Jesus tells his disciples that the single common denominator that would distinguish them from the world is the love that they have for one another. John thirteen thirty five, and you can either turn there very quickly or just write it down. John thirteen thirty five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul prioritizes good works in the Christian life by saying we should pay particular attention, focus on fellow believers in terms of our good works. In Galatians 6, chapter 10, Paul says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. So Paul prioritizes this task of good works for the Christian. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther, in 1520, authored a little book entitled A Treatise on Good Work. In which, and this book is considered one of his most important because it seems to be his clearest exposition of what the Christian life is all about. In that book, A Treatise on Good Work, Luther makes the foundational connection that all good works must flow from faith. All good works must flow from faith. Luther says this in that little book. For at this time, I have wished to show how in all good works we should practice and make use of faith. And let faith be their chief work. So we seek to stir one another up to love and good works. As we're doing this, we do this not out of a sense of some general good to the world at large, or some humanistic sense to, to make the world a better place. We do it primarily as an outflow of the faith that we have in God. So it's very specific. Good works flow from our faith in Christ. Our good works are to be distinctly Christian in their origin. We need to be radically God-centered in all that we do. And this we do by making sure, again, that Faith is what is driving us in our meetings together, in our encouragement in one another. Is it faith-oriented? Is our encouragement to one another faith-oriented? Does it flow from Scripture? Does it flow from all who God is? With second, encouragement multiplied through the growth groups. Point number two, encouragement multiplied through growth groups in verse 25. The verse says this, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're told, we're not told uh, who those are who began to no longer meet. And that's a very mysterious phrase. Who's the, who is the author talking about here? But apparently, the small house churches, they were facing persecution. Some within the house church began to draw back 
and say, well, we might as well go back to, to Moses. Or in other words, a, a, a reference to everything that Moses represented in and under the Old Covenant. Some apparently began to shrink back. The main point in verse 25 is the concept of encouraging one another. And we can't encourage one another if we're not regularly meeting with one another. In other words, we cannot begin to even consider what it means to consider one another for the purpose of stirring up love and good works if we're not meeting regularly. Neglecting to meet together for one reason or another really can oftentimes in our lives creep in into our lives through very insignificant means, and we need to be on guard against those. I remember in 2004 when I first came to New York City, I moved into Park Slope, Brooklyn, to be part of a church planting team, which was a fantastic experience. Church planting, is, it's a wonderful adventure. It's, it's exciting. Church planting meaning starting a new church from scratch, which I helped be part of in Park Slope. And it was a wonderful time, a very God-centered group of people, I had a lot of encouragement there. There was a lot of intimacy there in this group. But when it came time for me to leave that context, I quickly came to the understanding that it wasn't going to be so easy to find another excellent church like that one. So what did I do? I slipped into this this pattern of, of neglecting to meet with God's people. I had already withdrawn from this church plant context after having spoken with the leadership team left there, and instead of quickly finding another place to to invest myself in, even though it may not have been as strong as the one I had left, I made the mistake of just not meeting with any group of people, any local church. And I quickly rationalized it, and it is easy to rationalize today because we can just as easily sit at home and listen to hundreds of excellent sermons on the Internet or read a good Christian book, or read my Bible, so on and so forth. And these are all great things, but they're not to take place, they're not to take the place of the regular gathering together of ourselves for the purpose of mutual encouragement and the promulgation of love and good works. Another example of this, of how subtle it is to fall into the trap of not meeting together, I was in a previous church in which I served, there was a young mother who seemed very committed to the church. She had several children, and she would always be sure to bring them with her. She'd be very involved in the church, doing many things, faithful at every service, very excited to be there, always speaking to people, so on and so forth. But at certain points of the year, particularly when sports season geared up, all of a sudden we would no longer see her. Her children, they were all very involved in sports. And she made the mistake of, by withdrawing from the church during sports season, teaching her children that there are other things just as important as being with God's people, as gathering together regularly as a local church. So we would see her only in certain parts of the year, and we would know when sports season would hit because she'd no longer be around. My fear with that is that she's subtly teaching her children that it's okay to be so lightly committed to God's people, to, the, to a local church. But that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture, God's people, a local congregation, is to be our all-consuming priority. 
We are to place it above all other things, whether it be sports, other commitments, whatever it be. We need to be diligent in the regular, regular assembling of ourselves together. So both of these were examples of what it means to neglect to meet together. And I very easily fell into that pattern myself. We can all do that. Earlier I said that the author has two basic things in view. The first is to stir one another up to love and good deeds. The second being encouraging one another. These two commands are the main thought in this passage. If we can do these two things, if we can consider intentionally spend time together with one another and how we need to be spurred on to love and good deeds. And if in that assembling together, we can encourage one another flowing out of faith, then we go a long way in fulfilling the command in these two verses. Now, this word for encourage is the same one that popped up in last week's text in Hebrews chapter 3, where it was translated, but exhort one another. It's the same Greek word, again, from the same word used for the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, and it means to come alongside of, which we talked about last week. The author seems to be putting a premium on this concept and the need to be knit together with one another so that encouragement can take place. We're to come alongside one another, encouraging one another, wherever and whenever needed in one another's lives. We all need encouragement. The 2010 Academy Award winner for Best Picture, many of you know, was the movie The King's Speech. The movie is based on the true story of King George VI, who as a child and throughout his entire life suffered from a debilitating speech impediment. He apparently had a very bad stammer or stutter. If you've seen the movie or read anything about it, you know that. But now... King George VI was thrown into the political spotlight by being crowned king of England. As his brother abdicated the throne, he assumed the throne. And with his country on the verge of World War II, the king's wife, Elizabeth, takes measures to help her husband. Elizabeth secures an eccentric speech therapist with unusual techniques to help her husband find his voice. The speech therapist whose name was Lionel, came alongside the king. The two men formed an unbreakable bond as they spent time with one another. And through that unbreakable bond and the encouragement that was given, as one came alongside the other, the king finally found his voice in the story, delivering in history an electrifying radio address that unified his nation literally on the very day that Britain went to war with Germany. This was a powerful example in history of the power that can come from coming alongside one another, encouraging one another, spurring one another on. Had it not been for the faithful encouragement of someone who befriended the King of England, the outcome of World War II could have been quite different. And the history of the world as we know it today will look quite different as well. Encouragement is so powerful that it can literally shape history. And it can shape the human heart. And that's what we are intended to do as God's people. 
encourage one another, as we come alongside one another. And then third, a point for today, applying the implications of this text to the structure of the growth group ministry. Point number three. And again, I acknowledge that point is very different from the other two. At this point, I want to talk about the vision and ministry of the growth group ministry. I said at the beginning of the sermon that if the main thought of these two verses can be summed up in one sentence, it's this. Christians should be intentional in meeting together regularly to promote love, good deeds, and mutual encouragement. This is God's plan for us while we are on this earth. We are to give ourselves to this God-ordained means of persevering in the Christian life. Now, again, I want to explain... Once again, why this point seems so different from the other two. It's this. There are two equal truths at work here. Yes, it's us who would be doing the meeting together. I've already made that plain. Would would be intentional as fellow Christians to meet together for the stirring up of love and good deeds among us. But, and this is where I'm diverging to mission and vision here. It is equally true that a church leadership who has spiritual oversight over, over us needs to strategize about ways to help us work this out in our life as a local church. In other words, our church leadership is to develop ministries that help us fulfill commands of Scripture, like this one in today's text. And to be sure that these ministries have their intended effect, there needs to be an intentionality behind them. And that's what we've done with this growth group ministry. There is very much an intentionality behind and driving this ministry. There's a stated vision and purpose of the growth group ministry. But the working out of this mission and vision then becomes the responsibility of all of us. In other words, we're all ministers together. And if the growth group ministry is to be successful in helping us grow deeper in one another, in the Christian life, if it is to help us advance the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel, then we need to then take this mission and vision of this ministry and make sure we are faithfully working it out as the individual groups gather together. Now, you have in your sermon outline printed for you uh, the mission of the growth group ministry, and you can follow along as I read. The multiplication of maturing Christians through spiritual transformation, who in turn advance the kingdom through multiplication of new believers through evangelism, who advance the kingdom through the development and multiplication of leadership within the growth group context, who are then sent out for the multiplication of the growth group ministry by launching new growth groups. I know that's a mouthful, but there's the mission, the vision. Now, let's take each one of these statements on multiplication at a time, because if there's one key word that's driving the growth group ministry, it's this key word, multiplication. You have the mission of growth groups before you. The key word driving it all is multiplication. And as we take each one of those multiplication phrases, some of them I'm going to refer to scriptures uh, to help balance them out, to help balance them out, to help 
understand why we're talking about multiplication. And I want to say at the outset that as I use these scriptures, it's not that the uh, verses themselves speak directly of something like a growth group ministry. We are taking scriptures like this that I'm going to use whose intent we're seeking to accomplish within the growth group ministry. I know that could sound a little confusing, so just follow along with me. Multiplication number one is this. Multiplication of maturing Christians. The Apostle Paul put the biblical necessity of maturing Christians this way in his own ministry. In Colossians 1, chapter 28. And you can turn there if you like. Colossians 1, 28. The Apostle Paul gives his mission stated like this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone... With all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So what is the leadership charge to do in a local church? To see something like that and then to, to strategize about ministries through which that in part can be accomplished. The end time pre- presentation of the people of God who are fully matured when Christ comes back to call his bride to himself. So the great end of our great desire. Excuse me, the great end is to see the greatest majority of all of us together participating in the growth group ministry so that text like Colossians 1.28 can be played out within the life of this local church. For the end that Christ will be formed fully in each one of us. That is our great need. And if there's anything underlying the growth group ministry the most, it's this. We need Christ formed in us. And there's a wonderful way within this local church, other than this main service, to make sure that gets done, and that's the growth group ministry. So let's meet together. Multiplication statement number two. Multiplication of new believers through evangelism. Multiplication of new believers through evangelism. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, put the priority of evangelism this way when he said, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. We see this priority of evangelism being worked out in the context of growth groups, largely as each growth group plants itself in an individual community and as the various members of that growth group build such a natural, comfortable environment, like you heard Jim talk about earlier, that it's going to be a natural inlet for our unbelieving family and friends to come, who perhaps might still have hang-ups about church and come into a, a weekly gathering. Growth groups are meant to be outposts of this one local congregation, through which unbelieving family and friends can be added to us, who eventually, by God's grace, get saved and are then added to this weekly assembly. The task of evangelism. So we want to see each of the growth groups strategize about how to reach out in the communities where you planted yourselves. How to get to know other people. How to bring them in. Introduce them to Christ. Multiplication statement number three is this. Multiplication of leadership. Multiplication of leadership. And I understand this part of the sermon can be very dense because I'm unpacking this vision 
and you don't have a, a lot of this written out in front of you, that's perfectly fine. You can just sit back and, and continue to listen and see how we're seeking to work out this vision of this ministry. Multiplication of leadership. That is both a development, both its development and multiplication. Jesus, as the master teacher early in his ministry, surrounded himself with 12 people that he poured himself into. He trained them up, then sending them out to preach the gospel and presumably to train others so that this process can continue and the promulgation of the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. Another example of Jesus doing this, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 additional people. Luke chapter 10 verse 1 says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Our specific strategy with the growth group ministry is that through it, others will be trained up, leaders will be trained up as they participate in a growth group and are then sent out to lead a growth group themselves. We're training up leaders to then begin this process so that this whole process is, is a self-reproducing process. As we're reaching out, in evangelism, as we're training up leaders and as we're seeking to grow in Christ together, all this becomes a self-reproducing process, then reproducing more and more growth groups, then giving us an, an ever-widening net into this community through which to preach the gospel and to have inlets for unbelievers to come into this local church. The final multiplication statement is this. Multiplication of the growth group ministry, which I've already spoken about a little bit multiplication of individual growth groups that is our aim to constantly be starting new growth groups so that all these other multiplication aspects can be accomplished this fourth element of multiplication will become a reality again as as we participate in the previous three as we're seeking to grow one another with one another together as we're seeking to reach out, and as we're seeking to produce leaders, it will naturally, naturally necessitate the need of new groups. So the goal of this vision and ministry, or mission of the growth group ministry, is that through multiplication, the one driving force behind it, through multiplication, New Village Church will more fully and with renewed vigor participate in the advancement of the kingdom of God through this growth group ministry. So again, in summary, multiplying, multiplication of maturing Christians through spiritual transformation, multiplication of new believers through evangelism, multiplication of leadership within the growth group context who are then sent out to multiply the number of existing growth groups, launching new growth groups. All for the one great purpose of advancing God's kingdom here on earth with the ultimate end of developing more worshipers for God in eternity so that together we can sing with the multitudes in Revelation 7, verse 9, where it says this. And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. 
with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the reason we were all created, to worship God. The chief end of man, as the classic confession of our faith states, is to worship God by enjoying Him forever. We can do this now as we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're added to His body, and then we grow in this faith in ministries like growth groups. And we do this until Christ comes home to call His bride to Himself. In the meantime, we anxiously wait for that indescribably more awesome worship experience in heaven that we read about in Revelation 7, 9. Let's be devoted while we wait for that day. Let's be devoted to the body of Christ locally as members and attenders of this one main local church. And we can work out that devotion and cultivate that expectation of that great day as we meet together in intimate settings like growth groups. If you're here today and you do not know Christ, you were meant to worship. We're all created worshipers. We all worship something, even if we do not primarily worship God. We have other things in our lives. Perhaps, like the earlier illustration, we worship sports or other things, other people, so on and so forth. But you were meant ultimately to worship God. And the best thing, the most loving thing we can do for you is to introduce you to that God who's got great things in store for you, to be a worshiper of God. We want to see many multitudes of people, like in that verse in Revelation, come to know that God. And if you're here today and you don't know God as your personal Lord and Savior, then you can come into God's family, become a worshiper of God through repenting of your sins, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, linking yourself to one single local church through which you can grow and wait for that, that day of ultimate worship together with us. Please consider joining the growth group. There's nothing more I can say other than please consider joining the growth group. We have a wonderful leadership team at this church who wants to provide for us and make sure most of this is being done in our lives. And the growth group ministry is one avenue in which they intend to have that done. But we need your participation. If you're here today and you're not a member of a growth group, please let us know how we can get you linked to one. We'd, we'd be glad to talk to you about that. And we know many of you want to be a member of a growth group, but in the, even though we've got six existing groups and we were very happy with that, we know we need many more groups. Perhaps because of somebody's schedule, you can't meet in an existing group, you need other formats. Come and let us know this so we can plan and, and make these things happen for you. I also want to let you know, if you're interested in hearing more about Growth Group, after the service today at uh, Steve Macero's house, there's going to be uh, Pastor Musser's Growth Group. is meeting at Steve Macero's house for a barbecue. And uh, if you'd like to hear more about Growth Groups, that's the stated intention of the barbecue. Uh, Steve, if you don't mind standing up, because there may be some people here who don't know who you are. That is Steve Macero. And uh, thank you, Steve. I know that this is the first that many of you are hearing of this barbecue. Just please understand, if you want to hear more about growth groups, you can do it in any number of ways. Approach us. Contact us. Go to the barbecue today. He, li- he lives very nearby. Uh, 
You can ask him how to get directions after the service. But please, come and seek us out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we look forward to that great day in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. We look forward to worshiping together one day in eternity in your presence the full realization of the redemption we have presently received will be fulfilled on that day when we stand in your presence. Stir us up to that end. Stir us up to long for that day and to persevere in the Christian life by keeping our eyes set on that day and also by uniting ourselves in local growth group communities through which we can remind one another of this ultimate worship experience. And in those communities, seek to get to know one another, to stir one another up. All for the glory of your name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.